Hey, so we just had a bunch of t-shirts delivered to the studio so that um, Vera, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so Vera and Brian print them with different messages. So I need one that says, but I'm not an American. <laughs> what? Why? Because I risk my life at every sports game we go to. <laughs> and it's not because it's violent sports. It's like, so in England, like, you risk your life being on the, in the terraces of the football match. Sure. But this is the national anthem. So, you know, the uh, National Anthem place, and I always stand and I stand respectfully, but I don't put my hand on my heart. I'm not an American. Uh -huh. But every every guy is staring at me like, what what's this? I, I might as well take a knee, honestly. <laughs> I'm trying to explain. I was like, but it's not my anthem. And then I'm talking over the anthem, and the, the whole thing's a disaster. Yeah, we we need to get you a T-shirt post-haste so you stay alive at American Just sporting Just 51st matches. State, uh -huh. something, anything, I'll take it. <laughs> Wait, 51st date would, would mean you should put your hand over your heart. Oh, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wait, we'll, we'll Maybe figure I just out need messaging. to stop going to sports games. Well, that's probably safe. I'm Ace Callwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Hey, so we're, uh, we're home again, which is weird. This is the second week we've recorded from home. Oh, actually here. Yeah, like yeah, here yeah. in the studio. Yeah, and the heat's not working again. <laughs> people, So people keep like genuinely asking, because we talked about it, they're like, oh my gosh, are you like, how's the heat? What's going on? Where are you working if there's no heat? And I have to explain that, you know, that we, we have multiple places where we can do work. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> acceptable. Do. Our approach to offices is we've got probably five locations across the city just redundancies that we have different, we have different things uh -huh. there's heat in but one it, of them but it is driving people a little crazy that they don't know where our new studio is are we ever going to tell people no 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 yeah no we're not yeah we're not undisclosed studios some might be able to come visit us tbd all right who's the sponsor of the week sponsor of the week is um netflix uh, specifically netflix show sex education have you seen it I've seen bits of it. Have you really? It's set in the UK, right? It's with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a um, actress. I forgot her name. Uh, Gillian Anderson. I don't think that's it. But it is. Yeah, sure. Gillian Anderson. Uh, maybe. Anderson? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Addison. I was like, that's Gillian no. Addison is not a person. Um, yeah, so it is, I will say, maybe the, I think, the best written show on TV right now. Like, hands down, above and beyond any show that has been written. Um, it's this exploration of teenage kids kind of uh, coming of age, I suppose, uh, three seasons long, I want to say, but it is just brilliantly done with exploration of like hot button topics, basically the things, type of things we cover in the zeitgeist um, and the character development and like it's funny, but it's heart wrenching and I won't say I properly cried in the last episode or two but i might have teared up uh, on more than one occasion like it's it goes there but it's not heavy for the sake of being heavy it's just real and i think it's a brilliant written show so there's my sponsor of the week you're giving me a look right now and i'm committed to it carry on say what you gotta say just for, this is this is a word to your groupies like we know you have a fan base that just adores you is he doesn't make this stuff up. Like, he's genuinely at home crying at Netflix. Like, that, that's a real thing. So don't it, yeah. think he's doing this just to feed you. This is who he is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving it there. Let's move us on. Uh, did, do you watch the Grammys? I did watch the Grammys. Really? Year. Yeah, I did. I thought it was great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so did, did you see the Tracy Chapman performance? I did. A fast car? I did. I was fascinated to, to hear what you thought about it. 
Yeah, so I I saw I, I watched it um, after the fact, um, but I think the whole phenomenon is incredible. So um, Luke Com- Luke Combs yep. uh, covered Fast Car. I think it was last year. It's been out for a little bit, um, and it was just a cover and. It like picked up some steam. Like a lot of people started yeah. listening to it, and so his label started promoting it, particularly through the country channels, which is where he he spends his time, as one would expect as a country artist. Um, and a couple things have happened as a result. So on the Grammys, Tracy Chapman and Luke Holmes came together and did a duet, and there was a lot of just conversation yeah, about the everywhere. harmony. And like, yeah. yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Um, but it it brings up like. I think three or four kind of interwoven topics. Um, the first of which is Tracy Chapman's at the top of the Billboard charts. Yes, yeah, the original for the first time yeah. since 2000. Yeah. So people are going back and listening to Fast Car. Um, secondly, which I thought was, I, I don't know if this is intentional or not. I've I've heard commentary kind of around it, but uh, Luke Combs didn't change the lyrics of the cover. Um, and so like one could modify some mm-hmm. things to make yeah. it kind of more attuned to their experience, but didn't modify the lyrics. So Tracy Chapman got a writing credit on his cover. So as it is making the rounds, like she's getting royalties and recognition and her name is attached to it. And I think that is freaking phenomenal, intentional or otherwise, like, which brings me to the third thing. There's, there's this conversation in one camp it's um you know this brings up some very real conversation around country music and inclusion and exclusion exclusion probably being underscored for country music um are black women are black people outside of you know Darius Rucker um are black people allowed to to be in country um shout out to Hootie though uh so like there's that side of the conversation has country been an inclusive genre and one could argue perhaps not despite uh, black music and black artists very much informing a lot of what has come through the country genre on the other hand does it matter is the wrong question but is the output of someone covering a black woman and that black woman being recatapulted into the limelight, is that a bad thing? Or is the outcome here really important and can both be held true and at the same time? And I think that's what we're wrestling. Like, is country bad, but also is Tracy Chapman at the top of the country charts good? And I think bad and good distills probably too simplistically but i mean your your whole journey of your conversation there just constantly reiterates what a lousy <laughs> human being i am i have, we haven't talked about this at all no we haven't so a few weeks ago i'm on a plane i got upgraded so i'm drinking free booze in first class of this plane of okay just set the context here we go and the luke, luke combs cover is playing and i i t- i think i was with v i turned around to v and said this is ridiculous like this is so disrespectful that we're taking um an an, an urban hymn of Tracy mm-hmm. Chapman's and Country A. Didn't know anything about that. Just, as always, completely oblivious, but very judgy, right? Yeah. Not withholding my judgment. So then, of course, I watched the Grammys because the first city I lived in was Los Angeles. And this season, mm-hmm. all you do is the Golden it's Globes, Grammys, Grammys, and uh, award season. Yeah, it yeah. is award season. So everybody's watching everything. I'm still a person who sits at the end of the movie. Everybody leaves the cinema and watches all the credits. You really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see who you Nobody know. Nobody leaves the cinema at the end. <laughs> like, the, how you could. You could take sort of security footage of a cinema and I'd be able to tell you which cinema was in Los Angeles because n- nobody leaves when uh, the credits are playing. Everybody's uh, looking at who did what. Anyway, uh, so 
once that was my sort of burning experience in the United States. So you're always, you're always aware of award season. You keep your eye on it. So then this happened. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to mm. be really terrible. And it was actually kind of beautiful. And the, the deference that was shown. And then, so dis- disclaimer, I hadn't realized that Luke Combs is on uh, Columbia's country label, which is part of Sony Music Entertainment, who are close clients of ours. So, of course, we know people kind of in the family. <laughs> we were chatting last week, like, oh, he's incredible. He's just the nicest guy in the world, has the best reputation. So, yeah, on all fronts, I was judging everybody. It looks like this has gone well. But credit to both of them. There was some huge risks involved in uh, in doing this. Then the other bit is just absolute awe for Tracy Chapman, who self-selected out of this life. It was her first uh, fast car performance in 15 years. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and then performed, I don't know if you noticed, but didn't didn't have the ear monitor, yeah. didn't have any of the just kit. Just did her thing. Delivered it. Played her song. And, and then a, a, a last word, where I'm now going to just shallow everything, is for... <laughs> For older, for for women who are a little older that worry about their, um, not relevant to a male audience, the number of, the number of young men who said, "God, Tracy Chapman was hot in that thing." She was just steaming. There we go. Really, just it was take great. it down to a baser level. No, no I there, wasn't taking it down to a base level though. But the, there was a was smile a, from Tracy Chapman was that was beautiful. magic. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. I, I I think you know we talk a lot about sponsorship and representation and and allyship and. Uh, I, I actually had um, I had a gig not too long ago, and and I was um, I was with uh, a, a new colleague of ours who put words to when she's stepping into do work, she will sometimes have a man introduce her to lend the privilege or the gravitas or just mm-hmm. some. Um, some credibility to her as she steps on the stage. And there was a bit of that uh, for Luke Combs to bring Tracy Chapman out to to play her song. I mean, she did the work there. Uh, I thought that was powerful and it shows how we might think differently about supporting audiences and supporting the out groups that we talk about often and saying, hey, I have the stage, I'm at the table, here's a seat next to me, do your thing. You know, I'm not making you magic, mm-hmm. you're magic already, but you might not have been in that venue, in that room, on that stage. Um, and I think that's really important. So then we're going to do what we do and then go slam the Grammys because <laughs> the other part of that, though, um, Jay-Z made, Jay- oh, Jay-Z made a real point. Okay. So right. look, when we're, talking about, when we're talking about representation in the award ceremonies, we're in award season uh, look, the Golden Globes fucks it up every year because it is, you know, the background of the Golden Globes. So it's, I don't watch it's any a, of them. It's the foreign journalists. Okay. So, it, so it's like Germans and Italians and like, it's, it's like, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's the foreign press corps determined. The so, so that's just a, like an absolute cluster. Um, I, yeah, I had some slight insight into some of this because the Brits have a, obviously an outsized role in the film industry in, in Los Angeles. And anyway, so now, Underrepresentation of people of color in the film industry is the problem, and therefore you would expect the awards to not overrepresent people of color because of the goddamn lack of opportunities. But in the music industry, 
this is not a place where there is a shortage of black artists, but it's still grossly underrepresented in the award ceremony. Yeah. So this isn't an excuse for the film industry. It's just, it's more calling out the Grammys. It's like, it's not like you have a shortage of content that could be considered. Yeah. And yeah. now, and then the other side, so swing right over, <laughs> which is why all right. everybody hates us. <laughs> I mean, look at all the women dominating the awards. Yeah. It was great. It was yeah. great. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically the Grammys are you. You cannot win on any front. Like, what? yeah. Oh, that can be your grandfather name, Grammy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just the head shake from Perry as he sips his Perrier. Oh, yeah. It was only slightly funny. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks, Perry. All right. Thanks. Um, hey, let's go to Tech Radio. Perry know about music? Yeah. Oh, the D- musician. D- DJ. Yeah, okay. DJ right. Perry over there. Um, let's go to Tank Radio. So, hey, I, uh, did you see there was like footage floating around of uh, Ukrainian Bradley IFV um, mm-hmm. like taking out a Russian T90? Did you see that? I did. Was, I did. Um, an IFV for everybody else is an infantry fighting vehicle. Yes, yes, it, yes, yes, yes. It's, um, a, it's a tank that holds people and has like a, a smaller gun on the top. Yeah, a light Iron, tank. Iron. And one would even argue that they're not tanks. They're, yeah, they're IFVs. Tanks. But they're uh, we, the, the layman would see an IFV and say that's a tank. And they're fundamentally not different armory, um, etc. But uh, this U.S. supplied uh, Ukrainian Bradley... Uh, took out this T90, which is arguably the like premier Russian tank on the battlefield right now. Uh, the the thing that was really fascinating to me is it was just um, it was staffed by two soldiers. The the Bradley was that was so it. There was a commander and a gunner, and the commander was driving. So typically you have three personnel in one of these things. The gunner, as one would expect, is firing the gun. The commander is looking for um, targets and like saying where the thing should go and also what we should shoot at. And then the driver um, or the, the, the operator is manning uh, the vehicle and, and driving it where it needs to go. And this one only had two personnel in it, but the after uh, interview with these with these oh two <laughs> was fascinating. The commander was basically like, "Yeah, I used to play video games," and that's how I was able to drive and also like scope out what we should be shooting at. I mean, like that the was, interfaces aren't that much different. I, that that I think we have entered a new era. Uh, the conversation around drones has yeah. been a fascinating one, right? Like basically, you've got people who were good at video games flying these drones and hitting targets, etc. Um, but like this takes the sitting in a seat in relative comfort and flying a thing. This brings it forward a bit to say, hey, on the battlefield, like perhaps the skills that one learned by having a joystick in hand or playing a video game is now coming like fully into But like literally effect. the absolute skill. I mean, there's yeah. fleets of drones. They are FPV drones, so yeah. first-person video drones. Yep. And you're on a screen. Increasingly digital imagery because it, night yeah. vision is essentially digital replication. Yep. It, it is people playing video games, which is terrifying in, in many respects. The Can I just say, though, on that whole, like... So these are the things I dream about sometimes, <laughs> which is, like, we end up in, like, 2024 risks being a year of conflict. We end up in conflict. We all end up getting drafted. I'm, like, the old guy who, like, isn't an officer or anything, and I end up in your bloody unit, and it's you and me stuck in an outgunned... <laughs> infantry vehicle 
And I'm like, we need to get out of here because that's a state-of-the-art enemy tank. And you're like, no, we're going to do it. And I'm, then I'm like, oh, fuck it. We'll just gun at it then. Like, that, that's probably the scenario inside that tank. Here's it's the like, problem is I'm shit so at I'm, I'm like We're the equivalent so of the school teacher that's been called up. <laughs> you got nothing to lose. You're just like, oh, but it's such a great story. I want and you to think about this differently. As oh, a I'm going to have teacher. nightmares about this. Maybe you're just Miss Frizzle, you know, and we're in the magic school bus. You should just like approach it that way. Is that says Grammy? <laughs> um, no, I want to. I want to stay Grammy's with drones. When you grow, you when you're in those grumpy moods, Grammy. Grammy, yeah. so oh, oh, Grammy's okay. here. All right, fair yeah. enough. Hey, I want to stay with uh, drones for a second. So, um, you know, uh, we're we're trying to figure out if we're passing an aid package, and that's all tied up with uh, the the Americans. We, not you, yep, just me. not me. Um, that's all tied up with border security, etc. So that's getting messy, and Ukraine is increasingly having to figure out how it funds a longer war than they expected. Uh, Commander of the Armed Forces just got let go. That's a whole other thing that uh, I don't know that I'm qualified to talk about. Um, but Ukraine is trying to figure out now how to do more manufacturing at home. If there's an industry by which they can produce more low-cost yeah. drones in order to, to wage war. And I, I think the economics of war are fascinating. And if the West isn't funding Ukraine in the way that it used to, uh, how does it jumpstart industry partly from an economic standpoint but partly from just a practical we need more things to deploy um and and that i for me is a fascinating just thing to watch play out right so now. they've just done a deal with uh Baikar, the turkish drone manufacturer mm. i think this is mm -hmm. the one you're talking about they're going to build a factory in ukraine yeah and yeah this is them hedging hedging aggressively on how that usaid may not come and look usaid overwhelms all other countries aid so um you know the UK and Germany would be second runners to that. But if you if you add that together and the Canadian and the French and the Italian and all that, it still doesn't match. It, the, the risk to Ukraine, if it doesn't get US aid, is that it's in a fight, absolute fight to, yeah. to survive. And they're, they're increasingly short of soldiers. And um, Zelensky has just rotated out the head of the armed forces very controversially. Uh, so yeah, drones, you, you go with what you've got. And mm -hmm. so you start developing a, a drone industry. I still find it wild that we're using the language of Star Wars. I know I, yeah. I know this is silly, but like first person video drones and dr armies of drones and mm -hmm. um, we've, we've very much entered that space of, for decades people were talking about asymmetric warfare and we sort of experienced that in Iraq and Afghanistan. But this, this really is. And, yeah. and if you start to look at the, the psychological warfare, ignore sort of Russia to the US. But on that note, Taylor Carlson, you dickhead. But then, <laughs> but if you if you sort of ignore that, um, Tucker Carlson, it's not yeah. even Taco's name uh, wrong. Uh, ah, yeah, see, whatever. I'm forgetting who he is already. Yeah, Good. Is that important? Um, is, but if you look at sort of the Russian role in what's going on in the Middle East with Iran, and I, I, we don't have deep insight into this, but people have deep insight into this. Um, yeah, that asymmetric yeah. engagement. It's fascinating to watch. It's going to lead More you and that. me into a lightly armed fighting vehicle where you go running at stuff because it makes for good stories. There we go. Grammy at the wheel. Hey, so um, I, DJ Perry's going to find a new sting for our, what I'm calling very appropriately, our separate segment. <laughs> Because I, I, I separated this out. Um, I, I think it's an important and topical and like deep conversation that we ought to have for a couple minutes on the epidemic of loneliness. 
Ah. We've talked about that a bit. Um, but yeah, what, what what's on your brain with respect to loneliness right now? So <clears throat> we, we've been looking at this for a couple of years, but last year, Alan Dow, Professor Dr. Alan Dow. <laughs> professor Dr. Dow. Come across. He's a professor of medicine and has you know, various seats that are focused on public health. But, um, he asked if we could write a book, if we publish a book um, about fatigue. Mm. So he wrote a book about the six types of fatigue. We, we published it um, under Rogue Media, our media label, and it kind of went gangbusters. Mm-hmm. We didn't really sell it. We gave it away. We included it in different things, and then we've been speaking about the subject. But there was, of the six types of fatigue, he talks about social fatigue. Social fatigue is both being overwhelmed by interactions with people, but also the epidemic of loneliness, which has been identified by the US Surgeon General as being critical in the UK. A few years ago, they introduced a minister of loneliness Mm. to address. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's everything from the sort of obvious relationship to suicide rates, but also has direct causal effects around heart disease and costs to medical systems, healthcare systems through the roof. So anyway, so social, social fatigue was a big focus. And we were increasingly having people come up and talk to us about being deeply lonely. And actually, very senior people talking about being deeply lonely, which mm-hmm. makes sense if you think about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the higher you are, the, the, the fewer people going through similar experiences there are, and friendship is very much built upon that. So this year, we've put a team together, and we've partnered with um, a leading public health institution, which we'll talk more about that later because there's there's some really deep connective tissue and into why it should be them. So we'll talk about that later, but we're in the pilot phase of launching the Social Connection Initiative, yeah. uh, which is, there's a lot of literature out there and a lot of studies about the cost of social isolation, but it's often the case with these subjects that cut across clinical and social disciplines and academic disciplines, there's very little actionable items. Like, what do I do about this? So yes, I understand that social isolation is a problem, what do I do? So this is the answer to what do I do? Mm-hmm. And it's the answer for leaders of organizations, mm-hmm. for heads of HR, but also for individuals down to what is social isolation? What do we do about it? How do I connect with people that have different perspectives from us? Down to how do I make a friend? To We're going to be taking on some of big tech around specific algorithms that are leading to greater social division rather than greater connection. Mm-hmm. I'll call us out right now, an obvious one. Hey, Tim Cook, Apple, love you, love your products. You can fix green texting right now. Mm-hmm. And everybody with an iPhone is laughing, going, why is this such a big deal about green text and blue text? Unless you're somebody that doesn't have an iPhone and you realize the conversations that, you, that are left out, the social, uh, the lowest social status you feel by having a ch- what is perceived to be a cheaper phone, and it is a line of code that Apple has said it's committed to erasing, but hasn't raised yet. Just do it. Let's lose that social friction. So there are very few entities that are not um, funded by, connected to, have clients with big tech. And this isn't this isn't going to be an anti-technology push, but it is going to be bringing some transparency. Well, it might be after we're thrown off Facebook's campus in London. <laughs> um, but the it, it's not anti-tech, but it is very much like let's be transparent about what some aspects of tech is doing and address that along with policymakers and leaders of organizations. So right now, um, you'll be hearing from us to say, hey, we want you to be part of that pilot. Right now, we're looking for organizational leaders, um, HR leaders, who 
we'll work with us in testing these tools and how it works organizationally, and then we'll be able to um, provide this information to the wider public, but particularly to leaders of orgs. Mm. Wow, I felt like I was selling you on this, and you're part of this, and you know all that already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, because I was like deep and meaningful, um, do you remember the Starbelly Sneetches? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it was a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me I like never, that. I Perry. never quite tracked with Dr. Seuss. Uh, Dr. Seuss is great. Uh, and then the a wibble met a wobble, and they wibbled and wobbled along the street, an upside down world, and stickies, toffee. I don't. It's I just mean, wild. Basically, yeah. No, the the green text, blue text. Like we we find ways to isolate groups, and the Starbelly Sneeches, Basically, they were a group with stars and a group without stars. Oh yeah, a group okay. without yeah. stars got, and then they got all jumbled up because people wanted stars and didn't want stars, and then they forgot who was in and out. And uh, I think. Really, part of what we're talking about are some of the tangible tools as individuals to to connect better. Part of it is an awareness of who might be isolated and that it doesn't look the same way. I can't look at someone and tell if they're lonely or not. And just because someone's off on their own doesn't mean they're lonely. They might just be yeah. doing their own thing for a second. Um, but we can be really intentional about breaking down some of the barriers that might ostracize, alienate, or other groups and and that is a way to start inviting people in and not be lonely um particularly i think one of the things we don't talk often about is like an aging population and empty nesters and like people i, I had my mom over for dinner last night um and she was really chatty and i realized it's because she lives on her own mm -hmm. and her kids are all scattered yeah. and like it was just the time that she got to share her life with somebody um, and I think about that often and she happened to just move to town and I like part of my role, not not as her kid necessarily, just as somebody who knows somebody who's off on their own and, and needs connection. Part of my role is to make time and space in a messy life uh, to, to connect. And so I, I was this is sitting like most acutely this morning as I'm just reflecting on like I should spend more time with mom um, because she's isolated, maybe lonely. You don't know until it's too late, and part of the job is to do something preemptively, proactively. So uh, I'm loving this work that we're getting to wade through, and uh, I want more people involved. Hey, and look, if your mom wants like a more interesting, fun dinner, she can come to my house for dinner. She doesn't have to, just because you're her son. I mean, she's got choices. She's got options. Yeah, well, well, we'll like leave that. We'll leave my mom out of this. Tools for tools. Okay, um, so I, I, I've been, I, you and I actually separately, because we've been traveling uh, into, in different directions, have been working with large organizations trying to change. One might call it change management, whatever. I, I don't really care what the term is, but uh, what I often get hit with or asked is, how do I start to affect new things in our organization? And um, I've been using this framework, uh, the physics of new initiatives. Um, oh, God, I hope you get the physics right for this, because we have a lot of scientists listen to this. Well, so uh, I'll caveat this with I failed physics the first time, so um, I cannot be held responsible for anything stupid I say here. But no, it's a really easy one. Uh, momentum, the equation for momentum, P equals MV. Uh, momentum equals mass times velocity. What, what I see often, people are like, how do I get more folks involved in my initiative? And one would argue that's the mass piece. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I build mass? And what I posit is that velocity is probably more important. 
if you get one person excited about your new initiative to say, hey, what are, what are you doing over there? I'm working side of desk and you know, you might carve out an hour to, to help me on that. And then a third person pops up and says, yo, what are y'all working on? Like, there aren't a lot of people involved, but that's interesting. Uh, organically, it starts to build mass just because you went and knocked out a milestone quickly and you went and got a quick win and you went and showed some progress and you went and you know did the thing very quickly. So velocity is where I encourage groups to spend their focus because the funding is a function of moving quickly and, and getting wins. The funding pops up and the, hey, you should devote more time to that because you're, you're winning. That starts to, to be allocated by managers or you know, C-suite executives and, and, and. And so as one is trying to build momentum around a thing, mass is important, but that will come as a function of moving quickly. So focus on velocity is, is what I've been seeing most effective and probably aligned with what you talk about incrementalism, et cetera. I'm, I mean, it's not as a joke. Will you create a postcard with this? Absolutely. Because this is what I fight with clients over. Yeah. Like if you get into because as you witness, there is occasionally some rough and tumble between us and clients, sure. beloved clients. Yeah. And often the discussion is, hey, you need to slow down because people need to be with this. And I've never been able to find the words is, but if we slow down, we lose the people are already on board because they need to be, the, the currency is momentum, the, yeah. the belief that this thing is actually happening. And it's worth some disgruntlement of people who are slower on the uh, diffusion of innovation curve mm -hmm. as, as they're jumping on. It's worth it not to lose the, the, the people at the front of the change movement. But what they need to be fed is they need to see and feel momentum. Yeah. And slowing down by definition loses that momentum. If we need momentum and we can't get mass, we have to over-index yeah. on velocity. Yes, yes, yes. Is oh, a good way to say that. Good. Yeah. So your physics is better than mine. So yesterday I was in a <laughs> I was in a um I was in a secure navy location packed full of research scientists who were working on sort of next generation, very important things for, yeah. for surface warships. And um, I was I was introducing the concept of signal to noise ratio, and was about to explain it. And they went, "Yeah, we got this. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, make yeah. your point." Uh -huh. And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay. How are you PhDs doing? You're all good. You're all great. All right, super. Then moving on." Let's yell at some clouds before we wrap up, shall we? Yeah. Hey, um, okay, all right, all right. Uh, so I thought book burnings were bad. And I thought we were generally agreed across society that burning books is a ridiculous thing to do. And I'm, I'm finding that I'm a fucking idiot. Why? Apparently, book burning is well and good. It is alive and well Oh, today. yeah, it's thriving. I, yeah. I, I, oh, it's a thriving industry. Big book burning is, uh, they are lobbying Well, it might hard. be driving the, the recovery of print because there's all this demand we to buy to the print, print books to burn them. Jeez. It's Cause so, like when you were talking about sex education on yeah. Netflix, it's really hard to burn Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, just yeah, don't do DVDs do anymore. And they're, no. Oh, the, the toxic fumes have come off burning those DVDs. I, I'm not sure the folks burning so who's, books who's need burning, more toxic fumes. Who's burning this week? Um, so candidate for secretary of state in Missouri. Um, I had her name somewhere. I don't actually care. I, I don't care what her name is, Veronica something or another. Um, but what, what she said is she's going to bring back book burning. The direct quote, when I'm in office, they will burn. This is in reference to LGBTQ books um, that in an ad campaign for her candidacy, she is literally burning books with a flamethrower. <laughs> it, it, it is... It is the most ridiculous. Uh, and Missouri has one of the strictest um, 
uh, book bans across the country um, with jail time for librarian, librarians uh, for carrying books deemed obscene. So Missouri's in a, a tough spot right now. Um, but now there's a candidate who's like, hey, when I'm in office, they will burn. That is a campaign promise. And I just the free exchange of information does not to seem to be in the best interest of a far, far, far right contingent. And I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I, just, I um, I'm starting to become a states' rights guy. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah, I am. I think the 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 fuel that is fed in extremes right and left, like fighting off each other, is so. If if you're if you're a candidate for secretary of state, and you are, we've been there, Jefferson City. That's the capital, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. we yeah, 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 yeah. we went there during the pandemic. That's right. Um, oh, that was quite funny. You were in a tuxedo in the basement of the possibly her future office. Yeah, you were in a tuxedo, I, and Claire was, was in a ball gown in a in a cubicle. We were broadcasting I an award show during the that. pandemic. Yeah. that was hilarious. Anyway, aside from that, if if you're the sort of person that thinks like a smart move is pulling out a flamethrower and burning books about lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans people, whatever, then the odds of you being a capable government official are pretty disastrous. Now, if, if, the, if the opponents of this could just shut up for four years mm -hmm. and, let, and let it play out, um, because the, the energy only comes from the outrage. Mm -hmm. and like, okay, sure. Sure, Missouri, if you want this, you go for this. Yeah. Like, it, it will play, but what, Quite literally what people fanning fundamentally the want, like literally fanning yeah. the flames, what, what matters in elections universally is jobs, national security, opportunities. And this stuff becomes such a distraction unless mm -hmm. it's put in the forefront. Mm -hmm. and, and I will say for people more of my uh, social, social liberalism, not my economics, but my social liberalism, God, they're tactical idiots. You know, just lean yeah. into this. Yeah. yeah, just ignore it. Just it's, let it be. It's wild. I send send over ga gasoline. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just just give it, give it, burn more. Give you, it look, more. you look silly. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, actually, on that note, can I just like this whole like just resistance is futile. Like the the world is going the direction the world is going. In. It's going to be three steps forward and two steps back. But we we left the base yesterday and we're driving through sort of ruralish country, and we stopped at. We stopped for something to eat, and it's right by the store that had like the biggest sign that just said "guns." And I said to V, "I want a photograph in front of this." And she was like, "No, no, 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 no." I like, I want to. So, but I walked around the back of the sign, and it was these used like real estate signs. Like it was a, it was a realtor. <laughs> like, but then right next door to it, we went to this little Mexican restaurant. It was fantastic. Oh. It was like it was, it was like this really kitschy, but the most diverse population in there. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it, the trucker caps, yeah. redneckish looks. Obviously, plenty of Mexican people, or Mexican people of Mexican heritage. Um, that was the best food, and he saw us staring at this empty <laughs> store with a big gun sign, <laughs> and he's just like, ah, just like don't let things play out. Like just, just give it, give it time. Now the irony, of course, was I'd just been in the place that has the biggest gunnery range in America or something. It's like, ah, oh, you want a big gun sign? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, Brilliant. it's just crazy. Hey, where, it's not crazy. Uh, where, where are you next? Uh, I am in uh, New York and Los Angeles. Okay. Week. 
I am, uh, I think, down in South Carolina. So if we owe you money, find us in... You and Perry are doing innovation stuff. We are. Come yeah, we're, we're very excited right. to, I am, to jump um, in that. Uh, I can't talk about what I'm doing in New York, but I can talk about what I'm doing in Los Angeles. I'm speaking to a group of travel leaders mm. about negotiation with a backdrop to AI. And oh, we might post cool. some photos in the newsletter. Of, yeah. I was playing with AI generators to uh, show damaged, damaged airliners at LAX and just how easy that yeah. is to do and how we can create faith. We'll maybe talk more about that next week. Hey, uh, to, to wrap us up, I'm going to bring us back to fire for a second. I was uh, down in Atlanta this week with the Carter Center um, oh, and yeah. just a brilliant group of folks and Jimmy Carter's, what he kind of designed like Camp David, a lot of circles. You can't put your enemies back in a corner yeah. if you're in a circular room. Um, and there's a photo of me in front of a series of Warhols, one of which is signed by both Jimmy Carter and Andy Warhol. <laughs> and I'm laughing and it looks like I'm laughing because I'm having a great time. I'm actually laughing because I was told if there was a fire, my singular job was to grab the signed <laughs> Warhol and get out of Dodge. Um, and like, I think they were half joking, especially because what they showed me was the inside of the Carter Center conference room. It's a circular conference room where President Carter's flags, the military mm -hmm. flags that um, he was given on the day he joined office or stepped into office and he was able to take with him the day he stepped out of office. And what's really cool is there are tassels attached for each branch of the military for the conflicts that they had been in up until he took office. Um, it, for every subsequent conflict, another tassel is attached. And Jimmy Carter is the only president in modern history where no more tassels were added during his time in the presidency. Um, and it was just this really powerful reminder that for all of the flack that President Carter gets, he stood for peace. And uh, those flags didn't change while he was there. He also represents somebody that has did an incredible reinvention of his career. So yeah. his presidency, uh, highly mixed reviews, um, but post-presidency sort of appreciated and respected and amazing work. And I want you to think about that now. So don't be down about where your career is right now. Just think what Grammy will be able to do in the future. I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood. This allegedly is on Voy Recorded Radio. Well, allegedly. See you next time.